if you wouldn't mind, um, can you just bow your heads with me? We're just going to ask God for his presence and his help. Lord, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for your presence here. You alone are worthy of our attention. Not me, not the words I speak. Not anyone else in this room. Lord, you're the only one worth giving our full attention to. Lord, and still you choose to use frail people like us to invest your glory in, to, to pour out your Holy Spirit in. Lord, that we might be partakers of your divine nature, that we might be people who reflect you well. So Lord, I ask that you would be glorified in your church this morning. That everything that we do together, Lord, would bring you praise, bring you honor. We acknowledge you, Lord, and is you as the teacher here this morning. Amen. Amen. Right, so my name is Judah. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm a teaching elder here. And um, it's been a couple of weeks now I've been working with this. So this is our second part of the theme for this few weeks is going to be the source. And I'm coming off a series where Bob was teaching us specifically about, from a passage in Peter, about all things pertaining to life and godliness have been given to us through Jesus. And where we ended up in that series was that we need to give all diligence to these matters. It's not something we look at casually and, oh yeah, you know, I guess I'm Christian, so... It will happen when it happens. And, you know, if I'm not able to, I'm just a... Lord, I'm trying to be a better man. And that's the context we have in religious Christianity. Whenever there is something that God calls us to, we do it in our own way. We figure out what works for us. And then when it doesn't work, we're like, mm, I guess I'm only human. And that's our fallback. That's a very good fallback clause. But God has called us to something totally different. He's called us to partake with Him in His divine nature. You are not who you are when you were born. You are an entirely new creature. You're an entirely new person. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17 tells us that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creature. The old has gone and the new has come. So the nature that you have is not fallen nature. And that is a big, big mind shift that needs to happen within the church. The problem is we have most of the church that has absorbed this kind of humanistic theology which says because of the fall and because of where we are, we're just trying to make it. And God in His mercy steps down and helps us. It would be true except you are not part of the fallen nature anymore. The effects of the fallen nature are things that we subscribe to. That's a totally different thing. But you have been given the Spirit of Jesus Christ. You have been given a new nature. Second, First Corinthians tells us we've been given the mind of Christ. But are we assaulted in our mind? Yeah. So which one wins the day is a matter of practice and giving diligence to the matters that God puts before us. So there cannot be this sort of nonchalant, well, it just doesn't work. So it must be that I just got to work with fallen nature. 
That is the lie I'm trying to unseat. It's a big lie within our generation. Where we try to find ways to accommodate the God of the Bible with our experience. So my experience dictates how I view theology or how I view who God is. I study God on the basis of my experience, not what he has said. So, coming back to this whole idea of the source. So we've got to always go back to the source of where our life springs from. It does not start in church. It does not start in a Christian home. It starts with God himself. So we got to go, so if you imagine a, a spring or a river, a mighty, big, huge, roaring river that cascades down, it has its origin somewhere else. The power you are experiencing, the, the things that you are grappling with further downstream or further down the mountain is not the source. That's where it's got to but it's not the source. Put it in more common language in what we're dealing with here. God gave you a family for a reason. God gives you relationships that inform, that enliven you, that give you hope, that give you safety. But that's not the place of safety. It comes from a source. Because those, some of us, I mean, how many of you have Great families. How many of you have dysfunctional families? So, that, so you already start to find that the, the further we get away from the source, you're going to have mixing. You're going to have blending of things. And that's not how God intended for life to op- operate. And God constantly through Scripture would keep bringing up this issue of blending. We want to blend a little bit of my experience with a little bit of his wisdom and then find where there's common ground. Just a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It extends over into issues like relationships, how I handle my finances, a little bit of yoga, a little bit of palm readings just to help me out every once in a while. We dabble with all kinds of things. Not a clue about where all these things come from. But we will dabble. Where's the source again? Somewhere else. So the further you get downstream, the more it goes out into the world. There are things that masquerade like pure spring water that are not. How many of you want to go dip your... Somewhere in East Palestine, go dip, get, get a nice scoop full of water right now. Yummy. Right? We have some people who are helping with that. But you, you understand the tension that you feel just with drinking water. Right? But we drink tons of it every day. It's a Netflix and chill night. It's uh, whatever my political party says night. It's uh, I was born to be be American night. (laughs) We, We chug it. The source was never there. The source was somewhere else, 
But there will be ish stuff in there, Christian-ish. Sounds good. Sounds right. Sounds like what God would say. Really? Hmm. When was the last time you checked? We, I mean, how many of you know that there's red 40, yellow, like all of that stuff in most of your kids' cereal? We'll shovel the stuff, but we'd never read the back. Right? It's that kind of a concept. And I'm saying we don't have the same intensity when it comes to our walk with God. And that's what Bob was highlighting for us when he says, do we give it diligence or are we casual with the things of God? Is it something that's just like, yeah, you know, because God is gracious. God loved me. I didn't love God first. Absolutely. So today what I want to get after is some of these fundamental responses to the glory of God. The songs we sang were just so helpful, but at the same time so holy that I don't know we've plumbed the depths of where those songs are. I don't know if you've seen what you were singing. That's my point. They're great songs. I would encourage you to go over them during the week. Ask God to open your eyes to see some of those things you were singing. Because I know, I was like, Lord, I need to see more. I, I know that there are things that you want to show me that I'm not understanding yet. If we take that posture where it's a more helpful way to say, Lord, I'm listening, rather than, yes, yes, it does, yeah, I got it. I know he's worthy of praise. Holy is his name. Amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do the head nod. We do the right Christian thing. We praise the Lord. Amen. You know, and we walk away. Totally missing the fact that he is the king above all things. He is the name above every other name. Not only on this planet, but in the realms around us, in the universe, in all of space and time. He is being given the name above all names. But yeah, yeah, he's holy. Yeah. Praise him. Amen. See you next Sunday. It's that casual nature which I'm trying to address today. We're dealing with someone who's extremely holy, extremely separate from us. But he chooses to come and live with us. He chooses to draw us close and he says, I don't want you to be afraid of me, but I want you to know who I am. So I'm t- I want to hopefully unpack things in a way that helps you understand the awesomeness of who we're dealing with without an afraidness, but a fear. That is called holy fear. Which is something we don't often talk about in church, but I think we need to. In Luke chapter, I, last week I, where I finished was in Luke chapter 15 verse 20. He says, and the, and the son arose. This is talking about a son who basically screwed up his life through spitting spit his dad's face and said, You know what? Just give me my inheritance. Let me take off. I'll go live my life. You do you. I'll do me. And he takes off. And then he comes to his senses that he had messed things up. And his father only ever loved him. His father only ever stored things up for him. Raised up a business, raised up things for him. But he threw it back in his dad's face and went. So when he had lost everything that he had, he comes to his senses. So there 
This is where this verse picks up. And he arose from the place where he was. He was in a total dump, eating with the pigs, lost all his money. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, and I want you to notice this about how God operates. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran towards him and embraced him and kissed him. So when we deal with God and when we make that move towards saying, Lord, I've been dabbling in this. I've been trying to get my job to be my security. I've been trying to make my marriage my security. A little bit of yoga for peace of mind for my security. And he says, that was the source. The moment he sees you turn, what does he do? He comes running. He doesn't wait for you to get things right to come running. He draws you in. This is what the grace of God is. This is what it means that He is our soul caregiver. He is the one who is the shepherd of our souls. When you read in, uh, in Scripture, the, the Father's heart is so towards the broken towards the one who is dispossessed, towards the one who is hurt, towards the one who feels abandoned. God runs towards those people. And He embraces them. He doesn't wait for them to clean their act up. That is how God operates. So when we have a God full of grace and mercy, pointing His heart towards us, what is our response and, and um, will encouraged us today the point is not what can you do for him the point is will you receive him so the question here today still remains will you receive him but when you receive him these are the things we need to keep in mind what I'm going to work with today in Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 now this is the spirit of Jesus talking to the churches when the church first started. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you, have got, and you have not grown weary. But this I have against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. And this is the issue for the church globally. It has been since then, and it continues today. There are times we love to play church. There are times we love to be around church. Where even, we even do devotions, do all of that. But our heart is not fundamentally His. Our heart is far from Him. We do it because we are Christian, not we are Christian because we are His. Which is a totally different thing. So Jesus invites us back to a love that we had at first, not a doing that we had at first. Because if you look at this church, they were doing all the right things. They had such sound doctrine. They were a church that did not endure anything that was kind of off. 
But what happened? Their heart was not receiving him. When you love somebody, and this is something that anyone who's done any marriage workshop with, Bob and Danny have done uh, several marriage workshops. One of the first things you have to understand when you're married to a spouse is that your spouse is not your enemy. Because in the context of conflict, immediately your, dis- your disposition is you're the enemy. You're the one I'm against. But the moment you say you're not my enemy, the next step, and this is a very crucial step, is I receive you as mine. You are mine. When you receive your spouse, that means everything that you're not today. And that issue that I'm precisely ticked off about, I have received as mine. So now I have a vested interest to solve that. It's not your issue. Go sort yourself out. It's not a you sort yourself out. This is we need to sort this out. Because regardless of where the conflict is, this is ours. It's not yours, it's ours. And when God calls us to himself, he says, have you received me so I can receive you? James tells us this, draw near to him and he will draw near to you. The problem is we think, if I draw near to God, he's only just going to tell me what I need to fix. How many of you in marriage have already figured that out? That the moment that some of those conversations start, you know that you're being set up. You're like, oh boy, this is one of those conversations. Okay, so what did I do? Let, skip to the good part. <laughs> or the bad part, whichever it is. But it's, it's one of those things you know you're being set up. But that is the precisely the issue that we have wrong. We automatically assume that there is enmity. We automatically assume that there is some vested interest to tear me down. God has no such intent. God has no desire to see you in brokenness. So when he comes towards you and when he instructs you, it's not because of anything that you can or cannot do. It's because he says, I have received you. You're mine. So whatever this is, I will be with you as we walk through it. Just don't contaminate the source. I will be your source. Stop trying to turn to other things that make itself look like a source. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13. This is a very key verse to help you understand God's issue with this whole idea of blend. For my people have committed two evils. First, they have forsaken me. You have turned your back on him. You said, no, I don't need you to fix this in my life. I've got this. I've got a job for that. That's how my needs are met. I don't need you for that. I've got a wife or a spouse for that. Or I've got a girlfriend or a boyfriend for that. I don't need your companionship. I don't need you to... like. So it's all, with different areas of life, we kind of give him the, the cold shoulder and say... I don't have any need for that. And then what do we do? As a result of forsaking and turning our back, what do we do? They have forsaken me the fountain of living waters, which is the source. We've forsaken the source, and what do we do? We have hewed out cisterns or wells, or what we would call water storage tanks, 
which are just broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So you imagine these water towers built with little bits of clay, little bits of whatever we find around us, and we pour water into it and say, yeah, this will sustain me. And he's saying, I am the fountain of living water, and I'm right here for you, and you refuse to come to me. Because you are entirely certain that your 401k is a good water cistern. You're entirely certain that having a paid-for house is your water cistern. You have a complete conviction that your marriage and having kids and having wonderful birthday parties is a water cistern that will somehow sustain this cozy feeling that you have. All the while, the tension of, I need to keep this going. I somehow need to keep this going. As my kids grow older, I somehow need to keep it together. I somehow need to keep this moving. He says, I'm the living, I'm the source, I'm the fountain. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But when we hear that phrase, we think, oh yeah, he wants us to chill. No. He knows that you're going to have to walk through things. He says, I have come to settle that chaos, that sense of, I got, I got, I got to finish this job. I got to get this. I got to finish this. And then I'm going to get a job. And if I get that job, and then, my, and, then, and then my wife will be happy. And then my kids will be. He says, stop. I am the source. If I am with you, if there is another one who's standing in the fire, what can harm you? What can harm you if I'm the one who stands in the midst of whatever that trial is, and I'm the one who is the king of kings? I'm the one who created everything. Everything submits to my voice. And he says, I will be with you. Now do you see what I mean about those songs? We haven't even scratched the surface of where those songs are going. That is why we say, Worthy is your name, Jesus. You deserve the praise. Worthy is your name. Why? Because there is no one who, who else can have that name. You alone can deserve the praise because in the midst of what is going on in my family, you walk through that with me. And that name arches over every single thing my family faces. Jeremiah 24, 7. This is coming back. So this is a few chapters later. He says, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord. So this is something, this is why I say you don't just have a fallen nature. You are someone who has been redeemed to know Him. He has given you what we would call the mechanics to perceive Him. You're not out there in the blind saying, I hope I find God in this mess. He's like, I have given you a heart to know that I am the Lord. This is part of this new covenant that we celebrate. Every time we talk about you know, taking the Lord's Supper and things. Why do we celebrate this? Because Jesus made a way for a people who were not His 
to suddenly be given a new heart that suddenly perceives things that we could never do by ourselves. And they shall be my people. I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. So the question is, will I receive him? Will I receive this free gift comes with the ability to perceive him. With the ability to know him more. In 1 Peter 2, verse 35. For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd of our souls. All of us. There's not a single one in this room who can say, Well, I got it right. I went to church at the right time. I didn't. You didn't. Neither did I. I mean, I was talking with some friends the other day. I was like, if people knew who I was in high school, they, <laughs> like some people would run 500 miles away from me. And the worst thing is we have Facebook now. So um, some of my classmates have found me. So I said, they're like, dude, you, you're a pastor? Mm. I was like, yeah. Because it's, it's, it's hard to, perce- to conceive of a heart that seeks after God when you are known for being someone who isn't. When you're known for being someone who is uncaring or lost or just pursuing your own self. And God says, I have taken the responsibility to be the one who cares for you. So in all that you're hearing me say today, I want you to understand this. Alan went to the, the other side of this, which is understanding that God is the one who pursues you. You don't pursue Him. Or rather, you will never get to the point where you've pursued Him as much as He has pursued you. But I still need to pursue His heart. But His disposition is always towards me. There's nothing of Him saying, well... You didn't turn quickly enough. Forget you. He doesn't do that. We're used to some of that at home. No, now leave me alone. I was going to forgive you two hours ago, but you didn't say anything. So forget you. (laughs) Deal with it. Which is why when scripture gives us this command, it's, it's scary. Forgive and love one another as I have loved you. Whew, that's a hard one. For he who loves much, forgives much. And that's how he is towards you. The problem is we, we somehow feel he might just be like us. He might be holding this against me secretly. And I'm going to hear about it two years from now at some restaurant. All right? No. He will never, never. So when you think about the failings we have as humans in some of the things that we try to let go of, but we don't let go of. God is not like that. He says, I have nailed it all to the cross of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that you have done or will do that I will ever say, well, this is in your account. He says, no, it's been paid for in full. 
So when we talk about going to the source, it comes with a sense of stillness. It's not a, what did I get wrong? What do I need to do? What did I, do? What did I screw up this time? It doesn't come from that place at all. It comes from a place of rest. Psalm 37, verse 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in, in His way or over the man who carries out evil devices. Do you remember what Jeremiah 2.13 said? It said they, first, they had forsaken the Lord and they had hewed out cisterns for themselves. There is a way that is evil that a man can, in our conniving, in our planning, in all of our, which is just so self-sufficient, self-sustaining, self-glorifying, everything about me. I did this. You should really appreciate me. And that is what we call the pride of life. And God says, be still and wait patiently for the Lord. Don't fret yourself. The moment you see that guy get ahead, you see this person like, seriously, how is that guy winning? Like, how is that guy winning? That guy doesn't even appreciate God, doesn't thank God for blessings. And that guy seems to be doing fine. I've kept myself in this toll, like walking with God business for no use. I mean, it's like, look at me. Psalm 46, verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in all the earth. It's not about you, but He's got you. He's got you. But make no mistake, life is not about you. It is about Him being glorified. Go to Psalm 23. I hope you will see this better as we read this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I refuse to be in a place where I have a desperate need for something that does not come from the source. When you see the word shepherd, I want you to see the word source. The Lord is my source, I shall not want. I refuse to be in a place where there's something I need. I need a bill paid, I need my health checked, I need my relationship sorted out, my kids, whatever it is. He is the source, so I don't have a want that He cannot satisfy, that He cannot fulfill, that He cannot meet. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. This has to do with contentment and having provisions fully met. Regardless of what your situation is, you have reason to lay down, Besides still waters. He restores your soul. He leads you in the path of righteousness for whose sake? For whose sake? Why, well, what, what's the big idea of this whole righteousness deal? For His sake. You are a representative of who He is. You are a manifestation of His glory. When people look at you, they see Him. Not how great you are. The problem is, we still want to look good for Him. He says, I never asked you to do anything for me. 
I don't need anything from you. He says, I will take your heart. That is the most expensive thing you have to offer, yet it costs you nothing. But it costs all of you. You, do you that's the, the crazy thing about love. For anyone who's fallen in love, the craziest thing about love is it does not have any partiality for something that you think, oh, that's mine. Mm -hmm. Sorry. If you love the person, there's something about true love that causes you to go, you, you hand over everything. It's like, there you go. <laughs> Which is why when you're kids, hey, if, if you're a kid in this room and your parents have counseled you about there's a reason why, because we don't want you giving away the family farm to just anybody, okay? There's a reason why you don't just run into things, because love is an expensive thing. But it's the easiest thing to give, easiest. Hate is a lot harder. Hate takes work. You actually have to keep bringing it back up to let hate grow. Whereas love is something that just gives. It just keeps going. And what you need to prepare your heart to do is saying, I'm just going to respond with that first, here you have my heart. And the moment I draw near to him, he says, I've drawn near to you, and I will reach out, and I will cleanse you, and I will help you, and I will lead you in paths of righteousness for my name's sake. Isaiah 30 verse 15 says, For thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you will be saved. And in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. And then there's a summary statement at the end. Which happened with Israel and it happens today. But you were unwilling. All you had to do was just come and just settle down. And I would be your source. And the thing I want to go into next week a little bit, but we have a guest speaker coming. So I'm going to teach on this at another time because it, I, I need to give it like a good amount of time for us to work, walk through this. But this is where I want us to see that the stillness that God calls us to is one that comes with an awareness of who we're dealing with. And I opened with that. When we talk about the fear of the Lord... It's something that is very, very misunderstood in church. People are afraid of God. So depending on, on your church background or where you, wherever you grew up, or you would have heard that God is somehow mad at people. He's not mad at people. If anything, He has made a way that there wouldn't be anything in the way of His love getting to you. He's removed every obstacle out of the way. But the fear of the Lord is an awareness of what hurts and what affects his heart. This is why I talked about loving somebody. When you love somebody, there's a healthy fear of that person in you. But we don't call it fear. What do we call it? There is a something that goes... No, I'm married. I'm fine. The moment you, like when I, when, I, when, when I see another beautiful woman or she comes up to me and she talks and she's chatting up a storm and I'm like, 
it's not fear of punishment. It's not like, oh, my, oh if my wife catches me, I'm done. No, it's not that. But what is it that causes me to pause? There is a healthy fear of, I never want to do anything that hurts her heart. In the way I operate, there's something that pings within me that says there is an awareness of who she is. Is there an awareness of who God is when you live? Just while you're walking, going about your job. Simpler example, you're walking in a national park. You're having a granola bar. You're done with the granola bar. What do you do with the wrapper? Do you flick it in the... I mean, it's a national park. Who's going to find it? Right? There is an awareness. Again, this is not an issue of fear of punishment. This is a... No, this is a place meant to be enjoyed by all the citizens of this country or this, this, this state. And I want to do right by it. There's a sense of rightness that convicts you, that pushes you back from something careless. Something that is casual. It seems so much simpler to just flick that, that wrapper over there. Do you understand what I'm trying to get at? The problem is we don't think fear in any form is good. There are certain things that cause us to step back, which is a good thing. And God wants us to have that kind of fear. So there is a holy fear, especially, and I'm separating this from all other human forms, because there is a holy fear because of just who God is. He's not like us. And He says, I've drawn close to you, but make no mistake, I am God. All through the giving of the law, this is one of those things. Every command was followed with, for I am the Lord, your God. Do this, for I am the Lord, your God. Everyone loves the verse about, in Leviticus about tattoos and all that, and why they don't get tattoos and all that, right? But right before that, and this is something for someone like me who grew up in a culture which is from the East, in Leviticus 29, when it talks about it, what does it say? It says, whenever you see an old man enter, stand. Honor the gray-haired in your midst. That's just a mark of honor. It says, in the fear of God. For I am the Lord your God. Now this is something I grew up with. If I see an older person, there's a natural tendency to stand. Now in our culture, we have a sense of, oh, everyone's, everyone's, we're all equal, we're all good. Now I understand, but have we lost some of the fear of God? Because there's a sense of casual, like hey, we're all the same, we're all everything, everything is vanilla. Everything is the same thing. And we have lost a culture of honor. So when it comes to parenting, the fear of the Lord is something that is not a context children have. I'm not talking about being afraid of your parents again. I'm talking about just an understanding. This is not what my parents would expect. Sorry, I, I, I can't come out tonight. Sorry, I can't be there. Oh, we're going there. We're going out to the boonies in Shalakta somewhere. We're going to... Sorry, can't, can't come. There needs to be an internal check in your child. But how do you teach that when it is not a punishment-related concept. The problem is, and, and this is why a lot of people have problems with the Christian God, it's always connected to punishment. So anything that the church told you not to do, 
Who the heck cares what the church thinks you should not do? The issue is where does, is there a conviction in your heart? This goes against who my God is. I am known by him. And he is known by me on the earth. So who I interact with, they know God through me. So what I succumb to, what I allow, what I permit in my life are all reflections of my source. So there needs to be a healthy fear of the Lord. And I want to go into that maybe in a few weeks, but I just want you to see this from Isaiah chapter 11. This is talking about Jesus, right? Isaiah 11, 2 and 3 says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. This was something that was the spirit that was on Jesus. And guess what the next verse says? And Jesus' delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. Now, run fast forward into the study of John that we've been doing. Why does Jesus keep making mention of this issue? I will not do anything except what I see my father do. It's because of this verse. It's way back in Isaiah where he's saying, I fear the Lord. There is a delight I have in honoring my father. I'm totally capable of, I got this dad. I can totally do this. I can totally rock this whole thing. But I will not do anything unless I see my father do it. Because I honor him. He is the one who is my source. So he was laying for us a foundation that says, hey, there are things that you're awesome at. But even in those things you're really awesome at, go back to your source. Because when you acknowledge your source, there comes a certain stillness about who you are that doesn't come with all this fretting. You're not trying to make life work. You're not trying to get ahead. You, you tend to do it laying down beside still waters, he restores your soul. You start to find that it doesn't come with great effort. Psalm 25 verse 14. The friendship of the Lord is with those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. So this is all through scripture. Just in case you think this is I'm just going with New Test Old Testament things, that this is an Old Testament idea. It isn't. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit and bringing holiness and completion in the fear of the Lord. This is something that we're called to have as New Testament believers. Something that says, this is something that matters to God. So there's a sense of caution with which I... I, I travel through this world. Philippians chapter 2 verse 12. Therefore my beloved as you have obeyed not only in my presence. But even more in, in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It, it marries these two concepts that it's not just in reverence. Because everyone likes to translate the word fear of God as reverence. Right? Because it reads easier that way. But we're not just talking about reverence. We're talking about a trembling. This is my heavenly God I'm dealing with. He has given me certain things to do 
and I do them in view of him fully accepting me. I don't do it because I'm trying to earn his love or earn his affection. But I represent this house. I represent his household. There needs to be a certain caution with, ah, okay, yeah, that, that, no, that I can't do. This, I need to give my whole heart to. I need to be diligent about this. 1 Peter 1.17 And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile. We're walking around here just for a season. We're going to share eternity with God. Walk and live as people who have eternity in mind. Not just today. What happens today is just a blip on the radar. The glory of God is the big picture. So when I go back to the source, I'm always saying, Lord, teach me to have a healthy understanding of what your glory is in this situation. In my family. Let me just put some nuts and bolts down as we finish here. If, if in your home you're saying, how do, I, how do I love my family? How do I raise my kids? Say, Lord, I want to bring you glory in what I do. Show me the things that affect your heart on this issue. I want to be moved by you so that I can love them well. I don't want to just do what's possible for a man. I don't want to just do what's possible for a woman. I'm not going to lean into my dadness. I'm not going to lean into my momness. Because there's enough Facebook or TikTok posts to tell you how to empower you into being you. Right? The issue is, am I empowered to be who I was made to be with a healthy dependence on the only one who matters? And this does not come from a place of pride. In fact, it affirms your identity in God. It affirms you to a place where you are strengthened with a not earthly strength. For those of you moms who rock it with tons of kids and all these things happening around you, for dads who do amazing jobs, I'm so, so thankful for the work you do. But never mistake your ability to do something as coming from yourself. Because guess what will happen? You will have to sustain it. If it's coming from you, you will quickly find that you have to sustain it. So my encouragement, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're a kid, whatever it is, say, Lord, what is it that brings you pleasure? I want to be someone who has a healthy understanding of this is what God loves. I love to please Him. I love it when my kids come up to me and say, you know what, Dad, I wanted to, can I bring you coffee? Now they've, they've spilled some coffee on the counter, there's creamer, like sometimes like, but it totally delights my heart because it does more than what the coffee could ever do for me. Do, do, you, do you see my, my point? And so when you as in whatever simple way are saying, Lord, you have my heart. That's what he was going for. That was what brings him more delight than anything else, more than you even getting it right. He's like, I have your heart.
man, I'll take that coffee. And I will go and clean up the counter when you're done. <laughs> and it didn't, and he, wasn't, he wasn't bothered by it. Your, the level of your screw up wasn't even in his face. Do, do you understand? I want you to understand when you're dealing with God, you're not dealing with someone who's looking for the part you missed. He's not looking for the part you missed. He's looking for someone who says, in stillness, I acknowledge that you're my source for all things. And I love you. Not, I am afraid of you. I love you. And that causes a certain pause where a pause is needed. And that's what we call a holy fear. And at other times, it causes me to run with delight towards something. And it delights me to be in your word. You see that in the Psalms, right? I found your word and it was a delight to my soul. Like, why do, why do you find somebody like Bible reading? How many of you have read Bible for a while? It's good sleeping material, right? But how does it become a joy? When my heart is involved, then suddenly I run towards His Word. And then suddenly I, I'm like, I've been in the book of Psalms for the last four hours and I didn't know it. It's like Netflix and chill just better. And you could binge on it. There's enough to read. Anyway, I won't go. <laughs> All right. But I just want to close with this. God has solutions for you. God has things He wants to impart to you for His name's sake. Just receive Him. So I will just end with that. Father, we want to receive what You have done for us. We know it doesn't come from a place of judgment. It comes from a place of You being our Heavenly Father. And You are not like us. You do not hold things against us. But You have done everything to eliminate every distraction out of the way that we can truly see Your heart. So Lord, I ask that there would be an understanding of your heart this week. Lord, in, in simple ways, as we sleep, as we rise, as we work, Lord, that there would be just thing, places where we would encounter your heart. Lord, that we would give you ourselves entirely. Lord, in places where there is judgment or condemnation uh, that we have faced, Father, I ask for a redeeming work. Lord, because you redeemed to save us entirely. There is nothing you have held against us. So Lord, I ask that if there is any place of judgment or condemnation that anyone is under, Lord, that you would bring conviction instead. That this godly sorrow, Lord, would lead us to repentance, that would lead us to a place where we are right with you and no longer under the weight of sin. We thank you for the redeeming work of the cross. We thank you for healing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right.